Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Start and end your day with the good news. The good news with Angie Austin. Find the podcast of past shows at angieaustinradio.com. Now, here's Angie Austin and friends with the good news. Welcome to the good news today is Robbie Yopes, author and speaker, is joining us for Top of the Show Good News. Hello, Robbie. Hi, Angie. How are you today? I am fabulous, my friend. We've got Scott Taransky coming up in the second segment, and he also is an author and speaker who goes around the country ministering to people and speaking his message. So looking forward to having him on the shoe, the big shoe. (laughs) And Sullivan, Angie. You have some um, good news. I'm not going to ask you to share it yet. Can I share a couple of my good news stories first? Absolutely. Okay. So I just was thinking about some of the really touching good news stories that we've shared this week. One of my favorites, I think, is a mom. This will really touch your heart. So you may have heard about this. The little boy, especially if you listen to the good news, you heard about it. This little boy um, seemed to have some kind of disability. I don't know what, but uh, he's in Freddy's. is a fast food place, and there was a security camera in there that caught this act of kindness. The little boy was really nervous. He was about 10, 11, 12, right in there, kind of a tween, and he was trying to count out the money, got nervous, and then just shoved the money into the teenager's hand behind the counter. Well, the teen counted it, and the boy was about $2 short. So the teen caught on security camera, said, you know what? It's the end of my shift. This one's on me. You're close, but you don't quite have enough, so I'll buy your um, mint uh, Oreo delicious custard dessert. Very cool. So good. All right, wait, it gets better. Then the little boy goes back to the table with the change, and his mom obviously asks, you know, well, how did you pay for it? And he said, he bought it for me. But a half an hour later, a little piece of paper is crumbled up with something folded in it. The little boy's leaving with his mom, and he hands it to the guy behind the counter and then dashes off. When he opened up the note, it was in green crayon, and it basically said, thank you for your kindness. I wish there were more people in the world like you and a $100 bill. Oh, my word. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I know. That's very cool. So that said, there are a couple of others that stood out, and I'm going to tie this into something you and I have talked about. There is also um, a little girl who lost her grandmother, and she decided in honor of her she would do like like 600 acts of kindness in honor of her grandmother. And it just touched me that, you know, grade school and middle school age kids and even teenagers like the boy in the previous example – We hear so many things about bad kids, and there are a lot of great kids out there. And the other story that stood out to me this week reminded me of you and me. Um, It was about the police officer helping the woman who'd weighed 500 pounds, and she lost like 300 pounds. And her husband had lost a limb to diabetes, and she knew every time she went to the doctor that her kids were freaking out, worried that she would get sick. And she finally realized, look... 
I need to take care of myself, much like you did two years ago when you went on your journey and lost 100 pounds. She just was bound and determined that she was going to get healthy so that she could raise her children. And did you see the video of the police officer? He helped her like the last mile or two. She was ready to give up in a lot of pain. He said, do you want to give up? She said, no. He held her hand on one side. Her little boy held her hand on the other side. Oh, yeah. And he was like in tears talking about how emotional it was when she finished and she was in tears. And the picture of him holding her hand and the the son holding her hand, uh, it it went viral of this cop and this sweet lady who'd lost all this weight. And it was just this act of kindness. And I thought about her, Robbie, and here's where I'm going to broach into the topic where I want to talk about you and me. Um, you know, when you were getting ready to, to lose your 100 pounds, at the time, I believe, and I'm just guesstimating, you don't need to give me weights, you were over 300 pounds, okay? I think you uh-huh. told me that. And if you weren't, then I feel really, um, really weird to saying that. No, but, you're, you're, you are correct. That's okay. fine. So you said to me, you know, when I met you, I remember thinking, wow, you know, Rob, Rob I, you're, I, I was honest. I met you and I was like, oh, Robbie's like a, a big gal. You know, I didn't realize that. Then when I got to know your personality, your weight was... It was erased to me. You could have been Brooke Shields or Christy Brinkley, or I'm dating myself. You could have been Gigi Hadad, Hadid. You know, you were like a you know supermodel to me because your personality so superseded your size. So then, oh wow, then, that's so kind of you to say that. I mean, my day. All right, so then you lose this hundred pounds, and so you and I've talked about this. Here's what I want you to address. Many people, when they're overweight, and I'm going to confess to you something I do at the gym as well. You were put in a book this year for being courageous because you went to the gym at 300 plus pounds. You started working out. You got a trainer. And I came across an article that says, what stops women from working out? It's the fear of being laughed at. Some even resort to exercising in garden sheds or they hide out at home to exercise or they walk in the dark in the morning before it gets light so people won't drive by and make fun of them. And I thought, no wonder they picked you for a book this year because of your courageousness. Now it's your turn to talk. Well, well, thank you, Angie. You know, I, I'm at the time when the woman asked me to be in the book, I thought, I'm not that brave. And then she said, can I go to the gym with you? And I'm like, um, okay. But once I saw the pictures, I saw how brave it is because I, you know, I was not, uh, and I am not a tiny person. So it's very intimidating to go to any gym because a lot of gyms are full of really in shape people. And I've, I mean, I've never been the victim of somebody bullying me at a gym, but I have a friend who was, she was, she's a big girl too. And she was on the treadmill and she heard two girls, skinny girls talking about her, um, like three treadmills away and, and they were being very obvious and it crushed her. So of course that kind of thing happens and nobody wants to be vulnerable with their body in front of anybody because there could be rejection or or teasing. So I understand the fear. I think part of the reason that I was able to conquer my brave my my fear was a I was desperate to get healthier and B I'm a little older and so I my confidence is where you know I just, I don't care if you like me or not. <laughs> and I think that I unfortunately I think that comes more and more with age. So um because I'm over 50 I'm like you know somebody Somebody made fun of me. Well, I'd go over there and I'd say, can I have the phone number of your mama? <laughs> and I would, I would just chew them out. But I wouldn't be crushed anymore because I'm old and I know, you know, 
I am who I am. I'm very comfortable in my skin or excess skin as it is at times. <laughs> well, I have to say in this article about millions of women not doing enough exercise as they fear being judged, I'm so sad that your friend got judged like that and yeah. that you know people are going either in the evening or in the morning so that they're not picked on. But here's the part that really broke my heart. You just said you're over 50, and so you're not as you know susceptible to the judgment now, even though it would still hurt. But this is the part sure. of the article that I did not like. Girls as young as 10 shunning their PE classes over body image fears, the report found. And we recently did a story on a teenage girl who was approximately 15 and her friends at school teased her because they said her rear end looked big in her volleyball shorts. And so she stopped eating and she ended up having a heart attack and dying within months, you know, like about five months of that comment. Oh, this is horrible. You know, it just makes me passionately angry at our society and what we accept. And it's all of us because we accept the images on TV as the ones to be uplifted and the magazines. And so, of course, young girls who who have not um, fulfilled who they are and they don't know their sense of security are going to be looking at all this trash comparing themselves. And it is wrong. It's wrong. We're all absolutely unique and beautifully made, no matter the number on the scale. And, oh, I wish young girls could believe that. They hear it, but to believe it is another thing. Oh, Uh, heart, heart, heart wrenching. All right. So I know that you have some good news as well. And so I'm going to give you half of the time to be able to share some of your good news with me, my friend. You know, you're talking about kindness today, and on Proverbs 11:17, I read this this morning, those who are kind benefit themselves, but the cruel bring ruin on themselves. So being kind can really benefit, like that kid who got $100. I mean, that's not why he did it, but it can benefit yourself. Well, I saw this story about um, a little two-year-old boy who, named Quincy who lives in Cincinnati, and he was so fascinated with the garbage men. So every time he heard the garbage truck come up, he would run to the window and he'd look out, and these two garbage men started taking notice, and they just started waving. So it became a very regular practice for Quincy to run to the window and wave at these garbage men. And all they were doing is waving. But it was so kind, and it meant a lot to Quincy. Well, they, his parents noticed this over time, so they decided that they would actually introduce Quincy to the garbage men. And um, so one day they went out there, and they introduced him, and they took a picture, and Quincy started bawling. <laughs> the mom, the mom said, "Are you okay?" And Quincy was overwhelmed with joy, and oh. he was crying because he got to meet his heroes, and his heroes were his heroes because they simply waved at him. Oh. Just a simple act of kindness, and it's so sweet because oh. in the in the picture he's holding his his toy garbage truck that he got for being potty trained that was his that was his reward i have to tell you it just it it makes my sigh was like a a good like a good sigh you know just that little act i have to can i tell you my own garbage man story (laughs) okay so 
The sweet garbage man with all of his gold teeth and his gigantic smile that glistens when he smiles, right? And he's not a young garbage man with a good back. He's an old garbage man with a bad back, right? So at Christmas time, I hadn't gotten out in time, you know, to give him his, his, you know, tip or money or whatever. And so I felt bad. But, you know, I thought, oh, let's after after Christmas, it's kind of neat because it's special. He's not collecting. Because I'm assuming other people leave money and cards and stuff. And I try to tape it in the trash and say, hi, garbage friend, you know, so. So it doesn't get thrown out with the garbage. Plus, you don't want to leave it out all night because, you know, people are driving around the neighborhood looking to see if there's envelopes for the garbage man and they're taking your money. So... <laughs> it can be a scam. Wow, I didn't know that. <laughs> I live in a world of paranoia, don't I? So my kindness has to be timed properly. So as it's, you know, at, at, you know, a few months, obviously several months back. As, um, you know, he was pulling up, I was like, oh, the, it was yucky outside. And I ran outside, you know, in pajamas and matted hair and the whole nine yards. And I said, oh, I wanted to, you know, say Merry Christmas. I'm sorry I'm late and blah, blah, blah. His smile was ear to ear. And first of all, the fact that he does this job with such a big smile and he's older, you know, um, uh, you know, that's, yes. a, that's a tough job, right? Yes. So get this. Here's I'm not saying I'm so great for giving him money for Christmas. That's not the part of the story that I love. The gift keeps on giving. It is the spring, and guess whose trash cans are brought right up to the garage every single week. <laughs> I had no idea that he'd remember me, and I look around, my oh. neighbor's cans are blowing all over the place, you know, because they don't have time to do everyone give that personal service. But it's like he is thanking me back every single week. I got to leave him another tip. Like, we, it was windy the other day, and my cans were right up next to the house, and they're all standing just perfectly. <laughs> well, you know, Proverbs eleven seventeen. those who are kind benefit themselves. And that's not why you did it. No, it but wasn't. You, but you are basking in the benefit of being kind. We all can be kind in all sorts of ways, giving money, giving a wave, um, paying an extra $2 for somebody's thing. You know, it's we just have to make that choice and be aware that kindness is so important in our world. You know, I, I and it's so often overlooked. You know, I just oh, touch. I'm just I'm thrilled. I mean, I, I I'm glad I got the extra benefit. And you're right. That's not why I did it. Number two, a lesson I learned from you. You told me a long time ago. Here, so here's my second little story I want to share with you. Sure. You told me a long time ago um, a story about Noah, and I'll never forget it, and I've brought it up several times. It makes me laugh that sometimes our success <laughs> and what we think is a good job is not their success. So just tell that story in about a minute, and then I'm going to tell you what just happened to me and how I remembered that. <laughs> I t- we took Noah to karate because he liked the Power Rangers. He was six years old, and uh, we very quickly deciphered that he's not very good at karate. And his sensei gave him a rubber um, nunchucks to do a little recital so he could feel good about himself. And he taught him the steps. And that night of the recital, I mean, it was horrible. He kept hitting himself in the head with the nunchucks. And I, I felt so bad for him. Well, we get in the car afterwards, and I thought, well, I've got to help him with his self concept. So I said, Noah. How do you think you did? Because I wanted to put the ball in his court. And I waited, and this is what I heard from the back seat. Mom, I was fantastic. And he went on and on about how much fun he had and how he was, he did everything he was supposed to do. And to him, he was a complete and utter success. 
So I always tell people that now when they're out, how are you? I'm like, fantastic. <laughs> okay, so I always remember that story because I don't want to put my feelings of success or like if the kids get a B in something, I'm like, well, I always got straight A's. Like, you know, they're themselves. Right. They're not necessarily representative of me. And we think they're little direct reflections of us. So right. Riley's in third grade. He had to do a commercial on a product that he came up with. Well, of course, you know, my husband, 20 years in TV and sales, and he did commercials and <laughs> You know, I was a 20 years in Los Angeles and Denver, and I was an anchor and a weather woman. So, of course, he'd want my help on his commercial because we're so fabulous as parents. So we have this commercial all planned out. We've got the video camera. We have ideas for editing. We have ideas for the script. And he said, I, 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 don't, I don't want your help. We are television veterans. People, no, people pay for our expertise. Are you kidding? Daddy did commercials for for Jake Jabs, for goodness sakes. Have you seen American Furniture Warehouse commercials? My goodness, they're masterpieces. Rockies, have you seen the Rockies commercials? These are amazing. So with that said, my son puts his commercial together. And then he plays it for us. I about fall over. It's better than what we would have done. And it's, oh, uh, it's wow. better It's better than Rockies. And sorry, Jake Jeb. It's better than American Virtual Warehouse. He's like, hey, parents, are your kids lazy, always complaining they're bored? Then get them outside and try my new product. It was like a home exercise system for the yard where they could build obstacle courses. And he had his sisters going through them. His little sister's little rear end was hanging out. She was working so hard. She was trying to get through the obstacle course. <laughs> and I'm thinking her booty's hanging out. But she was working out, you know. And it was it was fantastic. Oh. And I thought, okay, just like Robbie and the nunchucks and Noah. Yep. Exactly. And but he was he sees his himself as an independent, successful little third grade boy. And that is I I'm sorry, Andrew, but that's good parenting too. You can take a little responsibility for that. And I mean, wow. Well I that was good. I am as happy as a clam. And so I have to tell you, uh, first of all, um, thank you just for, I love our stories. I love sharing what I've learned from you. And I know you learn from me and it's just fun. And I, I hope you're listening and you get a kick out of our stories. And Robbie Yopes, author and speaker, how do people find you, your books, and have you come speak for them? RobbieYopes.com. It's I-O-C-S-E. We'll be right back with the good news. Hear about our victory in Jesus Christ. You are listening to 810 AM KLVZ. God's love lives. Easter has become almost, well, it's a springtime Christmas. You wake up, stumble blurry-eyed down the stairs to gather your bounty that's been delivered by some mythological creature. Along with all the new goodies, you get new church clothes and have a big meal with loved ones. Well, there's thousands of homeless in the metro Denver area that don't have those luxuries. But with a gracious gift of $1.92 from you, the Denver Rescue Mission will provide them with a hearty meal for one of those homeless individuals. Put one less chocolate egg in that basket and put some great food in a hungry belly and love in a thankful heart. That $1.92 is going to go a long way to help the people that don't have anywhere else to go and call the Denver Rescue Mission home. Along with that wonderful Easter meal, the mission's Easter celebration includes the homeless having the opportunity to have their feet washed, just as Christ washed the feet of the disciples. As we remember the great sacrifice that Jesus Christ made for us, perhaps we can join together and sacrifice financially to help out those around us who need it the most. For more ways you can help and to donate your $1.92 or more, all the details can be found at denverrescuemission.org. 
Do you need money for your school or maybe you need money for your organization? I have a great idea for you. It's called Buck a Bag. So you get all the parents, let's say, at your school to bring in clothing and shoes. And for every medium-sized bag, your school or organization gets a dollar. thousand bags of clothing and shoes, you get $1,000. And then all of those bags of goods go to ARC. And all of that money will then in turn help the disabled community. I have Miranda from ARC here. Uh, tell us a little more, Miranda. Yes, it's a wonderful fundraiser. It's very popular among schools, sports organizations, churches. It's a great way to earn money for your nonprofit organization. So Excellent. Collect bags and boxes of donations. Give us a call. We'll come pick them up, count them, and then pay you accordingly a dollar per bag or per box. It's a great way to raise money for your school or not for profit organization. Tell us how we do it. Give us your website and instructions, Miranda. You can find our contact information on arcthrift.org. Click on Mission and then click on Raise Money for Your Cause and you'll find my contact information there. Excellent. A buck a bag. An evening of music and magic featuring national stage and TV magician comedian Mark Robinson and local favorite singer-actor Leonard E. Barrett Jr. are coming to Denver on April 2nd. Enjoy an evening of music and magic to benefit Bessie's Hope, a unique nonprofit organization that enhances the lives of nursing home elders, at-risk youth, and volunteers of all ages. Go to Bessie'sHope.org or call 303-830-9037 for more information. Do you ever feel like you're just searching for a church and you just can't find the right one? Well, I must have looked for about 10 years. I have to tell you, I've never been so excited to go to church. I feel that Pastor John Moreland, my pastor, that's you, John, um, has a real gift for teaching. And there's so much love in that church. And I've never felt more welcome. And I have to tell you, Pastor Moreland, I just... I, I love going to church now. I learn something every week, and, I, and I, I just feel so blessed by you. It makes me cry. Well, I'm humbled to hear you say that. Denver Christian Bible Church is about two things. One, we want to make genuine connections with people, and two, we want to genuinely connect those people to Jesus. Thursday night, we connect. You can go to dinner. You get to know people. And then on Sundays, I just feel like it's a time of getting together and learning, and I feel I'm always hugged. I've never been hugged so many times in my life by people who are really happy to see me there. And so I feel like I'm growing, but I also feel like I have a support system at Denver Christian Bible Church. So if people would like to come, how do they reach you, Pastor Moreland? Please go to our website. You can download our sermons for free and find out where we are, denverbible.org. The word and music that expresses his love for us. The new 810, Love Lives, KLVZ. Welcome back. Motivating your child. What a great topic. Mm-hmm. That's why I'm a radio host, because I pick great experts. <laughs> so motivating your child is something that Dr. Scott Taransky has written about in his book, Motivate Your Child. And he is here to help us motivate not just our child, our children. Welcome, Dr. Scott Taransky. Well, thank you. It's great to be with you. All right. So let's go ahead and just start with the basics of the book and why you wrote it. Let's start there. Well, this is a a book about the conscience of a child. And when we did our work about the heart, trying to understand what the heart is, looking at 750 times the word heart is used in the Bible, we had this whole group of verses that dealt with the conscience. And so we knew it was the basis for another book. And when we started delving into the, the understanding of the conscience in the Bible, we recognized that the conscience prompts us in these different areas. Now, we were feeling like, wow, if we can take advantage of conscience development in the life of a child, could it be that parents wouldn't have to prompt their children continually to get things done, like clean their rooms or be kind to their sister or get their homework done? And we found in our counseling practice that, yes, it's true. When parents 
parent a particular way that energizes the conscience, then children can prompt themselves to get things done. It was so fascinating that we wrote this book, and we entitled it Motivate Your Child. Okay, so now, of course, the question is, how do we go about doing that? Well, the conscience prompts a child in four areas, at least according to the Bible. One is to do what's right, and that's not just morally right. That has to do with being responsible, doing the right thing. Okay. So let's just take that one part of the conscience for a a moment. Let's say that there's a right and a wrong way to come inside the house. If your child leaves a trail, walks in the house, leaves his coat over here, his backpack over here, his shoes over here, and he's got this trail, then he's coming in the house in a way that's not right. There's a right way and a wrong way to come into the house. And we train children with that. Now, once we train them, then we can use the conscience as a prompter that's going to prompt them when they walk in the house they need to and they fill in the blank and Mm -hmm. so they have this training that takes place so that children develop inside of their hearts a word we call obligation that obligation is this inner sense that I need to do something that's the conscience prompting and we're trying to help children uh, develop that in their lives helps them to be more responsible as well as to uh, just get things done around the house. So we can really develop that in children in some powerful ways. But here's the problem. Many parents are the conscience for their children. Yes. They're prompting their kids continually, and they're content if their children just obey them. Oh. oh, he obeys me. Yeah, I tell him to get off the iPad in the morning, and he does the next thing. And so the morning routine is like get your backpack, get your dishes in the dishwasher, make sure your shoes are on, is your hair combed? And so parents are prompting their kids all morning to get out the door. Is it possible that parents can train their children so that that's happening on their own? It is. And we're getting remarkable stories from parents now who are reading this book and their morning routine, for example, is significantly changing. Hmm. Okay. So you went through number one. You talked about four ways. What's right was number one. What else? Well, the second prompting of the conscience has to do with guilt, that uncomfortable feeling we have that deals with wrongs. So children need a plan for processing wrongs in their lives. Kids who don't have a plan, they blame the problem on other people. They rationalize, they justify, they defend themselves. And I think parents sometimes ask the wrong questions when they're disciplining their children that encourage that. They actually encourage their children to be defensive. They say things like, who started it here? Well, do you ever have a child that says, it was me, I started it? No, they never do. No. It's always, and so if we ask the wrong questions, we train our children to be defensive. In the book here, we've um, outlined some pretty clear ways that children can deal with guilt. Guilt is a real emotion that prompts us toward repentance. It's not a bad emotion. It's helping us see that we made a mistake, we need to move forward. And unlike the world that says that uh, that um, guilt is a bad thing, we just need to do the best we can, uh, we believe God has created guilt as a prompter, and we help children know how to prompt, how to work with that prompting instead of offloading that guilt. Okay, so number one, what's right? Number two, guilt. What are three and four? Yeah, number two is dealing with wrong. So number three is being honest. And so Romans 9.1 says this, I speak the truth, I am not lying, my conscience confirms it in the Holy Spirit. So Paul is using the word conscience, one of the 30 times the word conscience is used in the New Testament, to tell us that the conscience prompts us as an area of integrity, of, of speaking the truth and not lying. So that becomes a significant prompting, and children engage in dishonesty in a number of ways, sneakiness, they steal, they lie, and, and they really need some conscience development. We've outlined several ways that parents can do that as they work with their children. 
You know, it's interesting you say that because the smallest thing came up with our nanny, uh, but the kids would give me one version. She'd give me another. And like, let's say I could hear my son crying in the basement. They were doing homework and then she's upstairs. And he said, she said she's fed up with me and she came upstairs, which I understand that happens. Right. But then her version would be something like, oh, no, I just told you, sweetheart, I was coming upstairs to get some lunch and I'd be right back down. And I said to her, I pulled her aside. They said, come on, I know you don't want to get in trouble, but the truth's in the middle. You know, obviously he's yeah. Frustrated, and so are you, and you're really teaching him how to lie if I'm going to buy into your version and not his. You know, I would rather you guys just be both be honest with me and kind of tell me the middle ground of where you got frustrated with each other than, you know, yeah. this teaching the kids subtly how to lie to get out of trouble. So the being honest thing, I think that's a tough thing as a parent to teach because it seems to me, at least with my kids, and I don't think they're that abnormal, there seems to be an inclination towards uh, leaning towards the being dishonest in order to not get in trouble. Yes, that's one of the ways. Or to be dishonest in order to get someone to like you, so you exaggerate the story. Or to be dishonest in order to get something you couldn't get in an honest way. Those are all ways that we could be dishonest. And when a person's mature, then they have this sense of uh, uncomfortable feeling inside whenever they slight the truth of it. And that doesn't exist in some children and needs to be developed. So that sense of conscience then becomes all the more important. It's God's design. He put it inside of a child's heart. Our goal is to help children... Uh, become more aware of that and then strengthen that inside of a child's heart. Yeah, that God put it in there. We just need to dig a little for it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> all right, so number, right. number three is being honest. All right, let's move to number four. Number four has to do with compassion or caring about others, we call yes. it. Yes. And, uh, you know, you have that feeling inside when you see someone who's hurt and it just you, you want to do something about it. That sense of compassion is not, we don't believe it's a personality trait necessarily with children. Some people have it, some people don't. It's a conscience issue, and it can be developed in children. But it's only done, all of these things are only done when parents are intentional about them. And so we give some step-by-step ways to work on the conscience of children in all of these areas. Now, some children are stronger in one area than the other, and we'll use the strength in one area to help a child experience and those inner promptings. And then what we'll do is help that child to be able to bring that same sense of awareness into other areas that may be a little more challenging. All right, Dr. Scott, you're talking right now about happiness. I'm going to touch on something you talk about in your book. Uh, You talk about in a world where we're taught, many of us are taught to pursue our own happiness. How can we teach kids to develop compassion? Because I tell a story about my son, which I'm not proud of, but I know he's much better because he just won an award at school. I've got to say this first. He won an award at school for being kind to others. And for a third grade boy, his teacher even Mm. cried talking to me about how much he cares about others. Okay, with that said, a couple years back, he was seven. We um, were walking. We had a dozen donuts. There was a homeless man in the bushes. I asked him if he wanted a donut. I opened up the box and he grabbed one and at the corner my son cried and I said, what's wrong? And he said, he picked the one with the sprinkles I wanted. And I said, do you want to go back there and ask the homeless guy who's living in the bush right now if you can trade donuts with him? Like, I'm like, really? Has it come to this that you're, you know, that he doesn't have breakfast, you know? And I, I see that I'm teaching it to him. I don't know I think it comes more naturally to other kids. My other, my daughter, we went through with TSA just recently, and yeah. she stopped and said to the guy, I'm really sorry you hurt your arm. I hope you're not in pain anymore. And he looked shocked that this, she's seven well, now, this seven-year-old yeah. cared about his broken arm. 
Yeah, that's, it's really valuable. And it is true that some children seem to be more perceptive in some areas of the conscience than others. Right. And our goal, though, is to help our children grow in that strength. The conscience is not a, an end-all. Um, in Pinocchio, it says, let your conscience be your guide. But the Bible uh, has us follow another guide, and that's Scripture. The conscience is looking for convictions. The conscience doesn't know right from wrong. The conscience can be trained to... Um, to recognize those things, but it takes work. And when parents are deliberate, then we're giving our kids the greatest gift that we can give them, I think, which is moral and spiritual development inside of a child. So the book is really dedicated to those two things. We really, at this point in the interview, emphasize the conscience, but there's a whole other part of this book, which is emphasizing the spiritual dimension of a child, because we want to really help our children to develop their moral and spiritual compass inside. God has placed the Holy Spirit inside of a child who's accepted Christ, and even the Holy Spirit works on, a, on the heart of a person who's not uh, yet saved, and so we want children to be in touch with God and uh, His Word as well. Well, I think this is a really great part to focus on. The second part of your book does deal with spiritual development, so um, we're kind of right at that. My kids are six, seven, and uh, nine, so where and whenever they ask you know, for the call to the altar, I'm always wondering, like, I wonder when my kids will maybe answer that call. So where does discipleship in the family begin? Well, I, if I were you, I would a- start asking the question regularly to your children, what did you see God do today? Because what you want your children to realize is that God is ever-present, always working. He doesn't just show up at bedtimes and before meals, but God is um, always at work. He's not just working on Sundays, but he's um, making himself known to us continually. And and then I would think that uh, helping our kids get attached to the Bible in some creative and powerful ways is a really good idea. When I grew up in a Christian home, and my parents did that for me. They used, I think, the teaching techniques of Jesus to get me excited about the Bible, which are creativity and life experience. When Jesus wanted to pass the faith on to his disciples, he didn't sit around the table and have devotions with them. That isn't what he did. He was out in the, in, walking on the road, or he was telling parables to them, or he was giving them life experience. And my dad, um, I remember I was learning about Jesus being the light of the world when I was four years old, because my dad had devotions in the closet that night with um, a flashlight and a mirror. And he says, this is Jesus. He's, he's like the flashlight, and we're like mirrors shining him around. You know, with that kind of, of energizing of our devotions, I always came to the scriptures with this sense of anticipation and excitement that, wow, what are we going to find today as we look at God's Word? So any way that we can energize our children with the Bible, help them recognize that God is working in our world, and then help them be sensitive to the promptings that come in their lives. What's God want you to do here? What, um, what, is the, uh, what does God do? Can God prompt us to, in the area of dealing with a messy room or to finish our homework? Yes, He can. And it's really interesting when our children get a glimpse of what that looks like and how it affects their lives in some very personal and practical ways. Yeah, what a cool dad you had. That sounds like a lot of fun. And I love yeah, that idea of asking, what did you see God do today? They asked that in church and Bible study last Thursday, and the kids don't go off for a few minutes by themselves, you know, in their groups. And so yep. um, my son raised his hand and I'm like, oh, you know, he's in third grade. Like, that's a big deal to raise your hand in church in front of all these adults. And and pa- yeah. the pastor said, so what's, what's God, you know, doing in your life? And he said, God's turning me into a really awesome person. 
Uh-huh. <laughs> and I thought, That's my, past, my pastor giggled and he said, we'll work on being humble later. And then, you yeah. know, like as a joke, but you know, it's neat that he understands that God can work these things in his life. Yes. Now talking about your dad and the relationship in your book, you talk about, you see that building relationships is more than just spending time together. So what does that entail? I love your example with your dad in the closet with a flashlight in the mirror. I'm, I'm going for that. That is so cool. But what, what else? Well, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, you remember it says that it's talking to parents and says, impress these truths upon your heart, parents, and then impress them on your children's hearts as you walk along the road and as you lay down when you get up. In other words, during relationship times, we have opportunities to share our convictions, pass on our values, and share uh, God's Word with our kids. And so relationship isn't just for the sake of having a closer family. One of the reasons we're extending relationship to our children is because it's the vehicle through which values and convictions are passed. So we want our children to have a close relationship with us so that they'll fall in love with the same Jesus that we uh, adore and love. And we want our kids to know that that, uh, we take Jesus home. It's not just something we leave at church on Sunday, but we're helping our kids see that you deal with temptations in a biblical way, or how do we handle emotions from God's perspective? What about decision-making or finances? All of those things are things that happen uh, in our home, and through relationship, we're able to pass on the truths that our children need. You know, I think so many times, um, Scott, we we don't let we, we helicopter parent. We rescue our kids from consequences, and I mm-hmm. think that many of our kids are growing up in homes that are more privileged than we grew up in. And uh, I certainly had consequences. There was no one to rescue me. And so, um, you say that one of the greatest gifts we can give our kids is the ability to think rightly about our the, their failures and process their weaknesses. So, explain mm-hmm. what you mean by that. Well, that fits under that part of the conscience about dealing with wrongs. You know, children who mishandle wrongs get themselves into all kinds of defensive positions and anger episodes and all kinds of things. So this part of the book is one of the parts that parents often like and are attracted to because we're showing parents how to help their children address that area of the conscience. What we're saying is that we want our children to have a response to correction that is much more positive. In fact, I would suggest that correction is a gift. Proverbs 6.23 says, the corrections of discipline are the way to life. And so we want our children to be able to value correction as something important. I think we can say to our child, hey, come over here, I want to give you a gift. They come over and say, okay, I'm going to correct you. Well, I'd like, yes, that's a gift. We're sharing something with you that's going to help you to be more successful later on. So very important, I think, as we're working with our children, that we are communicating that correction is a valuable thing. Many of our children believe it's, it's not good. And maybe that's because parents often, you know, correction needs to take place. Parents have to be the ones who are correcting, and so they get upset. Oh, why do I have to do this? tell you this over and over again. I think we as parents need to say, oh, he made a mistake. What a great opportunity for discipleship. You know, our attitude needs to be a better attitude when it comes to correction as well. I'm laughing because when you, uh, my, my husband will say like, well, whoever does this or, you know, cleans off the dining room table, you know, you get a prize. And then they're like, oh, I'm ready for my prize. He's like, come on over. You get a kiss. And the kids are like, ah. I don't want that kind of prize. That's a crummy prize. And so that's why I was kind of giggling about that. All right. Sure. Um, why Why is it so important? You know, my dad always, even though I had a very difficult childhood, he always like believed in me and spoke a lot of confidence and spoke a lot of life Good. into me about how I could achieve anything I wanted. So why is it so important for parents to always let their children know that, you know, hey, we believe in you? Well, I think that one of the things we want to do as parents is emulate the way God works with us. 
I'm always intrigued by those passages in the Bible that talk about God as a father of compassion. You know, I think about that as a motherly quality sometimes, but really, you know, compassion is one of those qualities that I need to have as a dad, and empathy. It also is true that God uh, not only created us, but he redeemed us, and then once we're saved, he gives us all kinds of things, an inheritance, a spiritual gift, a counselor inside. God has valued us tremendously, and I think when we turn around and affirm our children and tell them that we believe in them, then what we're doing is we're giving them a gift that's godly. It's godlike. We're teaching our children really what um, godlikeness is all about. And if, if we can illustrate for our children through our actions as parents what God does for us, I think we're preparing them for their lives with the Lord. So it's very important how we work with our children, how we treat them, what we do with them, and how we affirm them uh, in the process. Love it. Well, I want to make sure Dr. Scott Taransky wrote the book with Joanne Miller that people can uh, reach you and uh, find the book Motivate Your Child. How do we find you? Our website is biblicalparenting.org. And while people are there, they can sign up for free email parenting tips. We have two divisions at the National Center for Biblical Parenting, one's for parents with all kinds of resources. We also help churches develop into parent training centers and disciple parents. So there's resources there for churches as well, video training programs. We do live seminars around the country. And uh, so uh, you can find all of that on biblicalparenting.org. Excellent. Thanks, Scott. Thank you very much. The love of Christ lives on 810 KLVZ. Well, if you want to attain your dreams and you want to reach your goals, Carrie Conley is the woman to do it. And we just had a great seminar. Boy, that was fun. And we learned so much. We It was a life changer, was it not? It changed my life last year and once again this year. Very inspirational. It's such a reward for me, Angie, when I see people, not only when I work with them one-on-one or in my small mastermind groups, but when you've got 200 people in a room and you can see them, I can see all their faces when I say something or somebody else says something where you can just know that that hit them to the core. And they made a huge shift in their life. And that's what it's all about. Well, you've really guided me in my career, achieving some of the goals that, you know, I had in mind over the last year. You helped me write it all down. If people want to work with you in the future, how do they get in touch with you and how do they work with you on achieving their goals, Carrie? So the best way to reach me is just through my website, infinitenation.com. And what I do is run mastermind groups that I bring people into for the year and help them achieve their goals, build their business. InfiniteNation.com. Thanks, Carrie. Thank you. An evening of music and magic featuring national stage and TV magician comedian Mark Robinson and local favorite singer-actor Leonard E. Barrett Jr. are coming to Denver on April 2nd. Enjoy an evening of music and magic to benefit Bessie's Hope, a unique nonprofit organization that enhances the lives of nursing home elders, at-risk youth, and volunteers of all ages. Go to Bessie'sHope.org or call 303-830-9037 for more information. This is a good place. I really like it. This is Eric. He's an ambassador with ARC Thrift Stores. Yeah, I started at the Brick Brick and sorting the different Brick Brick stuff also. Then I went to the showcase and then I got hired to be a cashier. He knows that with hard work and dedication that he will advance in the workplace because he also knows... They trust you to do a good job. And he loves where he works. I'm the opening cashier, so I'm there from 8 a.m. to 4.30 and I have to make sure the registers are ready to go, the right tags are on the computer so we could get the right discounts. 
asunder and make sure there's enough bags. Support ambassadors like Eric and the differently abled people in your community by shopping at ARC thrift stores. It's a very good place. It's Everybody's real positive and it feels good to be around them. ARC needs your donations of gently used clothing and household items. To find the most convenient donation station, donation box, or ARC thrift store location, go to arcthrift.com. That's arcthrift.com. Yeah, overall, I'm very happy and thankful, like I said, about ARC. Easter has become almost, well, it's a springtime Christmas. You wake up, stumble blurry-eyed down the stairs to gather your bounty that's been delivered by some mythological creature. Along with all the new goodies, you get new church clothes and have a big meal with loved ones. Well, there's thousands of homeless in the metro Denver area that don't have those luxuries. But with a gracious gift of $1.92 from you, the Denver Rescue Mission will provide them with a hearty meal for one of those homeless individuals. Put one less chocolate egg in that basket and put some great food in a hungry belly and love in a thankful heart. That $1.92 is going to go a long way to help the people that don't have anywhere else to go and call the Denver Rescue Mission home. Along with that wonderful Easter meal, the mission's Easter celebration includes the homeless having the opportunity to have their feet washed, just as Christ washed the feet of the disciples. As we remember the great sacrifice that Jesus Christ made for us, perhaps we can join together and sacrifice financially to help out those around us who need it the most. For more ways you can help and to donate your $1.92 or more, all the details can be found at denverrescuemission.org. Christ's love lives in His Word. The new 810 KLVZ. Welcome back to the good news. You know, they say that um, your five best friends have a profound impact on you. So why do we surround ourselves oftentimes with people who don't believe in us, who don't believe in our dreams, who try to protect us from failure? And, oh, maybe you should just keep in the job you're in now. Well, Carrie Conley with Infinite Nation, she calls those people our front row. And she said our front row is so, so important to achieving our goals, to living a life that is our vision of what we want our lives to be. So who should be in the front row? And should we weed people out? And if we need to kick people out of those good seats, how do we kick them out? So Carrie Conley <laughs> with Infinite Nation is here. So explain the front row concept, will you, Carrie? Yeah, so I, I this is probably one of the most impactful things I do, Angie, and you see me do it where I talk about that you have two non-negotiable things in life. One is time, right? We all have 24 hours. We yes. can't mess with that. And the second is space. And space in our life means that the people that we spend the time with And unfortunately, when I start meeting people, I find out that the people that they are allowing the most access to their life are not necessarily the people who are going to help them get to their dreams and their visions and their goals. Mm -hmm. And so I I use a scenario of a visual. Pretend that you're standing on on a theater, like a stage, and you're facing the audience. And so there's seats, right? And there's only so many seats in the front row. So that is a non-negotiable. Right. So let's say there's 10 seats. Those seats need to be filled because those are the people closest to you. They have the most access. They have the most time. And so those people should be people that, that are the nines and tens in your life, Angie. So if you were to take, make a list of every single person that you spend the most amount of time with and you're to rank them, let's say, on a scale of 1 to 10, right? Yes. So ones would be those people that, oh, my gosh, when you're with them, they just suck the life right out of you, right? <laughs> right. My you friend feel- calls them the energy suckers. When you leave the yes. room, you feel so drained. Oh, they're just, you feel tired, you feel negative, you feel so beaten down. Exhausted. Those are the ones and the twos, right? And then you've got those people that are kind of in the middle that, you know, they're okay to hang around and there's no harm or foul, but they don't really take you any further up. 
Um, and then you've got those people that, that are nines and tens. And those are the people that, you know these people, Angie, they are the ones that, man, when you're with them, you just feel like you could walk on water when you leave them. Just They make you feel good. They make you feel like you can conquer anything. They just really lift you up. And so what I encourage people to do is to take those people who are any below, anywhere below a seven or an eight and move them out of the front row. They might need to get moved maybe to, maybe to the middle section if they're in those three to sixes, right? Can we, can we put them in the balcony? Well, the balcony should be those people that are, you know, the major poopy heads, the ones and twos. And quite <laughs> <Okay>. frankly, <laughs> and somebody said to me, well, I've got some people that I shouldn't even have, you know, let in the door. And I said, well, there is that. So you just, you have to be so, so careful about that front row. And sometimes when people are really going after a dream and needing to make some major shifts in their life, they have to clear that front row to make room for really awesome people. And so that's the last thing is that you can't invite new, awesome, great, amazing people into your life if there's no room in your front row. Right. And and we're not just talking figuratively. The people in the front row of your life, they're the ones that you meet for coffee. They're the ones you, you know, go to dinner with on the weekends. They're the people that you meet for a brainstorming session. You call them when you're feeling down. Like I know, Carrie, you have someone that always inspires you and lifts you mm-hmm. up. And whenever you're feeling discouraged, you call that person in your front row. So it's not just, yes, it is figuratively at the front row of your life, but these are the people that are in like the center of your bullseye of of life that you are making time and room for and they're the people you're aiming for when you're throwing that dart they're the people you want to spend time with and right. we're not saying kick your mother-in-law out. we're not saying kick your 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 mom out but you can move them back a few rows and yeah. then something you told me once is that your mentor told you look if if for instance it's your mom that's negative let's just use that as an example we're just throwing it out there yeah. um you said that, that your mentor said you don't have to give them free rent in your head. They're still your mom. You're still going to listen to them. But what I say to my mom when she gets negative is, Mom, I want to focus on positive stuff. I know there's a lot of bad stuff in our history and in our past. But if you don't mind, I really want to focus on some of the pleasant, good memories, some of the positive, good things that are going on right now. Right. Well, and what he does say, Angie, that I, that I is another good tool that I want people to know is, unfortunately, yes, some of those people are people we must see at certain times of the year, like holidays and birthdays, et cetera. But what he said to me was, I have learned when I'm with them that I allow them to speak to me, but I do not allow them to speak into me. Mm. There is a difference. Yes. There is a big difference. So the only people that I allow to speak into me, meaning I take their advice personally, I listen to what they have to say, I seek them out and I collaborate with them, are the ones that I feel are with my vision and my dreams. And the other people, I respect them and I love them for who they are. We're not all on the same path. And I just will have conversations with them, but I don't take what they say to me personally. I don't let it get to me. They are just on a different journey than I am. So and, we and just it, learn to put boundaries around emotion. And this isn't from one of Carrie's workshops. This isn't part of her professional coaching. But when you have to see these people, Carrie, for the holidays, I create vacation zones or safety zones. I'm like, oh, yeah. hey, the kids have a puzzle set up in the other room if you want to do a puzzle. We also have a game playing in the family room. Out and back, we have lawn dirt. So, like, whatever. There are, like, zones where you can escape the negativity. <laughs> and if drinking is involved, then maybe a certain relative gets served. I have little different other things that people can do in the house so they don't have to be subjected to what we may we know may turn into a, a negative space. 
Right. Divide and conquer, Angie. <laughs> <laughs> so as we, we talk, yeah. so let's wrap this up, Carrie. We've got a minute left. Let's talk yeah. about, so the front row in your life is important. If you want to achieve your dreams and achieve that vision you have for your life, get the people that really support you and believe in you. Weed some of the others out. Move the sixes and sevens um, into the middle row so you can put the tens in the front row. And if it's a relative you have to have in your life, just don't let them speak. Um, they can speak to you, but not into you. So Carrie, if we want to work with you, uh, do webinars, you work with people around the country how do we reach you best thing to do is just go to my website which is infinitenation.com excellent thank you carrie conley thank you angie austin thanks for listening to the good news with angie austin find the podcast of past shows at angieaustinradio.com lucky land casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky lucky in line at the deli i guess aha in my dentist's office more than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.